Welcome back to our video classes to learn more about the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon delivered by the perfect preacher for the disciples he was with, for the original audience listening in, and written by Matthew for us today. The text for this class, Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. I want to emphasize again that the theme of this section is given back in verse 20 of chapter 5, where Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we must not look at that mechanically or in terms of math or quantity. This doesn't mean that if the scribes and Pharisees were able to keep 204 commandments, we should be able to keep 232 commandments. That's not what this is about at all. The righteousness we are to have in Christ and we are able to have by the activity of faith in Christ consistently is deeper than the religious practices advanced and written by the scribes and Pharisees. Righteousness in Christ is righteousness of the heart, not just externals. What Jesus said about murder illustrates that. The scribes and Pharisees were concerned primarily with the act of murder, perhaps some of them only with the act of murder. Jesus, in his teaching, goes deeper. Behind the act, he is concerned with those attitudes of anger and hostility that can become the incentive for murder. I've used in my teaching through the years a scale to help us think about this. You start out with weakness in your attitude, in your core character. There is anger without a cause, unresolved anger that continues to boil or marinate into hostile words. And if it isn't stopped, it may continue to result in an act of murder. I hope we're able to see in this study, as we depend upon the cross of Christ, and as we live in obedience to him, we avoid acts of sin by avoiding those thoughts and attitudes that lead to acts of sin. This is the righteousness we are able to have through Christ that has a depth, an advantage that was not present in the religion advanced by the scribes and Pharisees.
All right, let's continue to see how the righteousness we can have through Christ is deeper and of more lasting value than the religion written and advanced by the scribes and Pharisees. I think this is a good device that I have on the slide there. Uh, the scale from weakness and cultivation of wrong desire, and then you have a lustful look that could result in an, an act of adultery. But before you get to the act, it needs to be conquered. And then you have, after this passage, the follow-up about divorce that we will consider in the next class. All right, what part of this total problem were the scribes and Pharisees concerned about? They were concerned about the act of murder, the act of adultery. This is another example of how the religion, those men advanced, had no sincerity, no depth of devotion to God. It only addressed externals. Their attitude was, just be sure you don't commit the act of adultery. These religious policemen quoted the law of God in the Old Testament, you shall not commit adultery. And their interpretation, their application was, if I may be so crude, just don't go all the way. They were not so concerned about attitude, about lascivious desires, inordinate lust, avoiding temptation to begin with in the mind, integrity, purity, in male-female relationships. No, their application of the law was just don't do the act. With Jesus, that isn't good enough. You've got to dig out and crush the lust inside that leads to the act. You must not indulge secret desires and flirt with sin in a fantasy sort of way and enjoy thoughts of the act, you must deal drastically with the causes, the motives, the thoughts that lead to sin. So, you have heard that it was said to those of old, <clears throat> you shall not commit adultery. Jesus is implying here they'd always heard that. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, Jesus does not say, don't look at women at all. And he doesn't say that normal, healthy admiration or attraction is absolutely prohibited. When, when men go out in public, we see women all the time, sometimes women who are immodestly dressed, they come within our vision, but just coming within our vision isn't lust. So this doesn't prohibit seeing women uh, in whatever state they might be in. This doesn't, uh, doesn't prohibit that, though in some cases you are compelled to turn away. This addresses the lust. That's what's targeted here. It is looking that contemplates the act and enjoys that contemplation. And it is that lust in the heart, it is that desire that visualizes the sin. That's the root of sexual immorality. 
And I'll tell you what, you can spend billions of dollars educating people about sex and all the gender issues, etc. Here's the cause of the problem, lust in the heart. The Pharisees didn't deal with that. When Jesus is our king, we are able to deal with the root causes, the attitudes behind the prohibited actions. We're never going to make much progress. We're never going to make much progress dealing with unwanted pregnancies, rape, broken marriages, sexual-related diseases until we learn what Jesus is saying here and start dealing with causes behind sinful deeds. But what do we do in America? In America, generally speaking, in our society, we are not even concerned about the act anymore. The Pharisees at least taught against the act. But in our society, we have even eased off on the prohibition of adultery and sexual immorality in general. And we cater to lustful desires. Our advertisements sell products through sexual suggestion and carnal appeal. Our bookstores are filled with salacious and perverted material. Our music focuses on the satisfaction of sexual desire. We make infidelity the subject of comedy and romance. In our movies and TV shows, we glamorize adultery, flirt with perversion, and we don't call hardly anything a sin anymore. And with the internet and apps and web pages, pornography has easy access into our homes and families and the minds of our children and our men and women. Yes, I think the Pharisees were better off than America. At least they prohibited the act. So what we've got to be concerned about is, according to Jesus, not only avoiding the act, but the desires, the fantasy, the mental flirting, the lust that leads to the act. So I want you to listen again, verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. To put it straight, long before adultery takes place in the bed, it has already been visualized in the head. All right. Next comes a rather formidable statement. I want to take you to this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, there is a point the Lord is making here, but it cannot be that he is teaching actual 
physical mutilation, amputation, or surgery as a remedy for sin. I'll tell you why we cannot literalize this statement. Number one, to take this literally would mean doing deliberate damage to your body, but other passages tell us we are not to deliberately damage our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Colossians 2.23. Number two, <clears throat> to obey this literally and cut parts of your body off would prevent you from using those members for good purposes. The hand, for example, amputate that hand because of a theft that you were involved in, and in the future you cannot use that hand for good purposes of generosity and service. Three, surgery as a means of dealing with sin would not reach the root of the problem, which is internal, not external. We've already noted that, and Jesus expresses that later in Matthew 15, 19. Sin comes from the heart. So we've got to treat this as symbolic language, hyperbole, figurative language. And the point of imagery and symbolic language like this, uh, the, the point of this one is we must deal drastically with sin. Mutilation, amputation is not the point. Physical surgery is not being taught. Think of moral calamity. Think of sin as a disease that demands drastic operations. We have to cut it out. We have to look beneath the deeds to the desires and then root those out. This is very much like what Paul wrote in Colossians 3 and verse 5. He said, therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, he doesn't mean to kill yourself when he says, put to death your members. If your eye causes you to sin, be careful what you look at and what you think about. If your foot causes you to sin, be careful where you go and why you're going there. If your hand causes you to sin, don't just look at the hand, look at what moves the hand. You see that? I found this quotation I thought was extremely useful. Paul Earnhardt said this. He said, the language may be shocking, but the situation is not far-fetched. In the days of more primitive medicine, many a gangrenous limb was cut away by surgeons in order to save the life of the sufferer. And modern medicine will still counsel the same traumatic surgery when a part of the body threatens the life of the whole. There can be no question that Jesus builds his message on a truth from the world of the flesh. But it is evident from the context that his language has application to the world of the spirit. Though our Lord is not speaking here of physical mutilation, which would be wholly ineffectual against the motions of the heart, we should not presume that the figurative intent of his words makes them any less intensely painful. 
There are parts of us, affections, habits, attitudes, values, relationships, which have become by long cultivation so intimately a part of our personality that their removal will make the actual excision of any eye or hand seem conservative. I want to refer as I conclude to Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. How desperately people of this generation need to learn the lesson taught in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Next time we'll be in Matthew 5, 31 over through verse 37 and that surrounding context. Thank you for being a part of this study.